Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week we are back from our international soccer break. It is rewatch season, and we're going to go back to the year 2000 and take a look at a game from the Cowboys and the 49ers. And with me this week to tell us exactly how we should kick our penalty kicks, it's David Newman. <laughs> uh, not at the keeper? I'm going to start there. I mean, like, don't put him at the keeper. All I'm saying is Jorginho's little hop never fails until it did. Until it's post. To the post. I'm a big fan of the the just like go up like the actually get it done quick. Like I don't think the the Jorginho strategy is like terrible by any means. Um, I I, I think like yeah, you know sometimes you you can throw them off and, and you get by that extra little second. Um, but the the guys that are con- I feel like are consistently good. You just step up there, you go up there, and you fucking bang it home in the corner. Like, put something behind it. D- don't take your time. Just get up there, bang it home, get it over with, and there's just no chance. If, if A well-hit penalty with something behind it cannot be stopped. Yeah, there's there's so much there's so much there, David, that I want that I want to pull apart because it's like low corner shots. If the keeper is actually going to guess right, if you don't go all the way to the corner, that's the beauty of the penalty kick. Is the more difficult you try to make it to stop, the the harder it is, or rather, the easier it is to go wide or high, because the unstoppable penalty is going to be upper corner. But yeah. if you're going to go upper corner, you can sail it. You're going to be Roberto Baggio. In the '94 World Cup over here, sailing it over the crossbar, you're not going to be holding. You're not going to be champions of Europe like Italy was uh, in, Look, in this tournament. Let's not overthink this, okay? Like uh, penalty <laughs> kicks have an expected goal of like seventy five percent six. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, it's like three quarters of the time they're they're putting these in here. Like this yeah. is this is basically fourth and one. Don't fucking overthink it. Hand the ball off. Run a quarterback sneak. Get your fucking one yard and convert. Like don't get up there and fuck around too much. Unless you're good at fucking around. Like, I mean, I guess if you're like Neymar and you go up there and you like fuck yeah. around, do your thing. Eight like, steps. And it works for nine you. Nine steps. Then do that. But like for most people, don't overthink it. Just get up there, fucking bang that shit home. Yeah. It's going to be, it's unfortunate because you've got, uh, you've got a few players from England that wish they could just walk up there and bang it home. It's not going to go, it's not going to go well for them. But it's actually, it's interesting that you bring up the whole fourth and one thing uh, because, well, some housekeeping before we get to the rundown and we get to the rewatch episode. But, uh, one, our wallpapers are out. Uh, Josie, our staff designer, came back, decided he wanted to do another round of wallpapers, and so those are posted. They went up a couple days early to the folks on the Patreon, but check on the Twitters. Uh, I'll probably retweet it again at some point in the next little bit, but if you want some wallpapers, I think Trey Lance and Fred Warner are going to be the Better Rivals curse holders this year. We'll see if the curse continues this year. Hopefully it doesn't. But if it does, uh, you can blame Josie. Um, he, uh, I think I said that he used his, his, Euro, his Euro 2020 tears uh, from France losing to make these extra slick. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you, wallpapers are out. Uh, and, and yeah, I think this week we're re- basically we're getting back in the saddle. Let's talk a little bit about some, some news tidbits. None of this is really like 49ers specific related. Um, I think we're probably going to stay away from the whole Richard Sherman thing for right now because one, he's not a Niner and two, like it just probably behooves everyone to wait to see exactly what's going to happen with that thing and get more information about it. So let's talk a little bit about some tidbits that have come out and then we're going to get to the rewatch episode and talk about the Terrell Owens star game. The one where he says he was just giving praise to God. He wasn't taunting the Cowboys. That's, that's all it was all it was i swear that's a real thing i didn't just make that wow up. i i had not heard that before that's incredible oh yes but let we'll me tell it. you 
but okay, so Kyle Shanahan was on the Flying Coach podcast on The Ringer, which if you have not listened to the Flying Coach series in general, Pete Carroll started it with Steve Kerr uh, last year. All those episodes are must-listens. And then they rebooted the podcast this year with Peter Schrager and McVeigh. And they've had a couple of their buddies on, and one of them was Kyle Shanahan. And you should go listen to that podcast. Uh, go do it right now, as a matter of fact. That's not going to hurt my feelings. It's a fantastic podcast. <laughs> um, but there were probably a few tidbits that I thought were worth mentioning. One, let's start with Matt Stafford. David, give me your thoughts. He was very, Shanahan was very disappointed, and was very honest about the fact that he was very disappointed that Stafford was not a quarterback for the 49ers. He felt like he should have been in there in the sweepstakes, and McVay took him out from under the rug. What do you think about that? I mean, it was kind of the whole story and how things came together was was pretty great. I mean, essentially, they were all in Cabo, and, and they didn't know it. Like, Shanahan was also in Cabo uh, at the time and was basically told that, like, nothing's happening today. This was kind of, like, later in the evening. Nothing's happening. Go ahead. Get some sleep. Like, we'll, we'll come back and kind of see where things are at tomorrow. And then suddenly, before he goes to bed, like, gets a call and, and is like, look, if you want Stafford, like, it needs to happen now. Like, you need to call him now. And he's like, no, no, no. Like, look, we I, I just we were going to wait for the morning, all right? Um, and it was it was funny that it was there. And, he was, you know, there was a lot of shit talking about how if he knew that they were at the a hotel that was nearby, he would have made it real awkward for both of them, Stafford and, and McVeigh, that is. Like, uh, and, and so, yeah, it was interesting listening to him talk about, like, how he had a chance, you know, once they uh, essentially heard that he was going to be available, that... Um, you know, he really went and kind of studied him uh, a little bit more and uh, essentially really liked what he saw and thought he was kind of an underrated guy and um, was was definitely a player that he was interested in adding to the 49ers. Are, are you on the hype train? Because there's a lot of Stafford smoke. There's a lot of Stafford's now going to be a top 10 fantasy guy. He is on my dynasty fantasy team. So, David, you'll have to face him. You'll have to get through him to get to the fantasy championships in our dynasty league. I'm not ready. One step at a time here. I'm not ready to think about that yet. <laughs> um, but what do you think that he is, you know, in that in that top 10 level with McVeigh and the Rams um, in terms of, you know, this we're finally going to get to see the real Stafford? Or do you think it's going to be a little bit of like we're going to see flashes of Stafford, but then it'll be Stafford? Yeah, I think it's it's probably like I wouldn't expect him to, to suddenly be like um, some consistently elite level quarterback. I, I think he obviously has a chance to show. um show us the best version of, of Matt Stafford. Right. Um, and, and I think he certainly has a situation here in a, in a system that's going to put him in positions to succeed probably more than he ever got in Detroit. Right. So I, I think like having a, a coach and play caller like McVeigh in his corner and um, you know, just the, the entire offense system we talk about, obviously a lot about it from the 49ers perspective, but a lot of the, the, the exact same benefits that you're dealing with there, you know, with the Rams. And so I think, yeah, he has a, a chance to, kind of be a, the best version of himself. But I, I think he's still ultimately like uh, a largely, he's one of those guys that like, right, is, uh, and there's many of them in the NFL right now. Um, it, it, he's a middle of the pack guy, right? In any given season, I think maybe you see him get above that. I th he's, think he's certainly had seasons where he's been below that. But largely, you know, he's kind of, uh, a middle of the road player. He obviously has a very strong arm, but he's going to be, um, you know, I think largely dependent on the situation and the, the system and the players around him. And that's going to be what can potentially elevate him to better performance. than we've seen from him consistently in Detroit. Um, but I don't know that, he, that, that I'm expecting him to be some like markedly different player. 
Yeah, I'm I'm buying the Stafford stock, not because I think that Stafford is necessarily a a quarterback that was being you know hidden or tamped down by his situation in Detroit, but just because I think a quarterback needs both situation and skill to make it all happen, and Stafford has enough skill, and McVay creates a good enough situation where he's going to put up some good numbers, I think, uh, and so that that's going to be interesting. But I mean, he made freaking Jared Goff look like an amazing quarterback for a year and a half, uh, almost two, before that consistency. And that ability to elevate really trailed off. And so it'll be interesting to see how many seasons he gets out of Stafford uh, and how many seasons he's going to be dunking on David uh, in that dynasty league. What, one thing actually that struck me while you were talking, David, that has nothing to do with football. Um, I'm drinking some Eagle Rare right now mm-hmm. because Eagle Rare is delicious. And I, I know that uh, whiskey folk in general love Russell's Reserve 10-year. There uh, and and Eagle Rare is just about impossible to freaking find. I actually had to have a friend whose brother owns a bar in Boston who was flying here to visit him, who knew that I liked Eagle Rare and visited him. Was like, hey, do you want a bottle? My bar gets him, and I was like, I mean, yes. And so he brought me a bottle. It was a gift. It was a very very generous gesture. I'm very very lucky to have it and be drinking it. Russell's Reserve is actually like you can find it everywhere and it's like 30 bucks yeah it's actually it's it's it's, it's a pretty good facsimile if, you, if you're hankering for some eagle rare because i know you like the eagle rare too get some russell's reserve it's good. all right i'm gonna try that one it's good stuff two other tidbits from the podcast one mcveigh genuinely thought that shanahan would drop cal pitts david i'm curious to know what you would have done if the niners would have traded all that capital to draft cal pitts <laughs> i mean i wouldn't have been happy um yeah, I, I mean, it, it's interesting. Um, you know, obviously, McVeigh brings up the, I, I think, the the standard when everybody's thinking about recreating two tight end systems, right? You're you're going back to the Patriots with um, Gronk and, and Hernandez there and kind of that limited time that they had where, where things were, you know, pretty incredible with what they were able to do offensively. And, and I think, obviously, that is, um, you know, something that, would probably be appealing to Shanahan, right? Like having another just top tier receiving tight end. Um, and I think if you were sitting in that position, like if they had just finished with the third pick or, or just say just like a top five pick um, and and you're thinking about going that direction and, and because you still feel comfortable with Jimmy Garoppolo, um, I could understand that sort of rationale more. Um the the once it becomes a trade up and you're you're like you know giving up multiple first round picks and and stuff like that like you just can't do that for any other position other than quarterback you can't do it yeah and and i'm glad they didn't i love cal pitts i think he's gonna be good uh he's gonna be awesome but boy am i glad that the niners didn't actually draft him and gave up three first round picks to do it shanahan almost canceled his interview with the niners because they had no established quarterback and he just didn't like the situation that he would have been walking into. He fell asleep before the interview and had to like hurriedly throw on his clothes and he ended up having a conversation, which ended up very well going very well for him and the Niners ultimately. But the, the last bit that I thought was interesting was when he walked through his decision-making process in the Super Bowl against Tom Brady. Not in the Niners Super Bowl, but in the Super Bowl against Tom Brady, the 28-3 Super Bowl. And he said that, he was he admitted that he was basically pushing to end the game because he had just basically sat and watched Tom Brady go down the field and hold the ball for in game time what was probably you know maybe 15 you know 7 15 minutes total but in actual real time it's probably like an hour where he's sitting there and watching Tom Brady go down the field and score points and now he's got the ball back and he's like let's go and end it 
And that's what prompted him to make a couple of pass decisions overall, even though they did run the ball more in the second half than they did the first half. But he made a couple of pass decisions that, due to some penalties and some other things, kind of didn't go his way. And I thought it was super interesting that he, as a play caller, just admitted, like, I was probably a little too aggressive in that moment, in that singular play call. Uh, Because on the podcast, it's basically couched as, what's the one, like, what's the call that you regret? The call that you're like, you know, oh, man, I probably shouldn't have done that call. And that's what he went back to. And I thought that was really interesting. Just that he feel, the, the lesson that he's learned in his mind from that moment was, don't necessarily go and try to end it right away. Let's make sure that we kind of control everything and don't be super aggressive. Which I think is an interesting thing to put in the context of how he is with the Niners now. Yeah, I mean, there were, I think, several moments that were were kind of gave off the same vibe from both really from Kyle and McVay um, in, in terms of, uh, there, there were a lot of good things that they were saying that you get. And, um, and it's something that I think, you know, that we've talked about a lot and that a lot, I mean, a lot of people, a lot of smart football people, right. have talked about like, you, you want to look at the process, right? It's not always about the outcome. The, the idea being if your process is good and, and is sound, that's going to lead you to the right outcome the majority of times. And, and that's really all you can hope for, right? A lot of times, especially as a play caller, right? The, the outcome of that play is largely out of your hands. You're, you're trying to make the best call that you can to put your team in the best position to succeed. But ultimately, it comes down to those guys on the field to, to go out and execute that call. And so it's kind of out of your hands, right? And so there were a lot of things like that where they they would say, you know, these things like you see like uh, uh, Shanahan here with the Super Bowl decision specifically, like I wanted to end it. Like I, I actually, I love that. Like I love that aggressive mentality. And and I think it makes a lot of sense when you look at, yeah, how that game was going and you look at Brady and, and what the Patriots were doing offensively and you see them coming back. And uh, I, I think it's just a mistake that a lot of teams fall into that we're just going to be super conservative. We're going to try to run the ball. Like to me, that leads to more, you know, you give them a better chance to come back and, oh, I, and win the I game. I totally right? agree. Yeah, I totally agree. And, and that's why I hope the lesson for Shanahan wasn't next time I'm going to be more conservative. I hope but, the lesson is, yeah, like I, I didn't get it this time, but that still was the right process. But that doesn't seem like the takeaway, right? So that's, so there, yeah. there were points like that that's, that were kind of like, contradicted each other a little bit right where it was like they would say this thing about um you know process over outcome and things like that but then it would be like they would say something immediately afterwards like this right like like that being the call that you regret even though you just sat here and explained to me for five minutes why you think your process was sound like like why do you regret it then right like i get that like obviously you would would rather have that have gone a different way but i mean even when you listen to the way that he explains it right and, and you talk about them on i think it was the previous possession they get to a second and 10 situation and he ran it there and and they get stuffed and then there was a holding penalty and all of a sudden you're looking at third and 20 you get pushed out of field goal range and and that's i think what happens like those type of things happen a lot when you just go conservative and you run the ball against a team that knows that you're going to run the ball, right? And and the point that he had made was like, look, okay, I don't want to go and do that same thing again. Julio Jones is on absolute fire right now. Like, just made that absurd catch along the sideline. On the sideline, yeah. Um, and, and so his thought was basically like, you know what? I'm going to fucking throw the ball. I'm going to feed Julio Jones. Like, that's, that is a sound process right there. Like, I don't know what yeah. else you want a guy to do other than to throw it to the best receiver, like, on the field right now, uh, who's just making insane plays all over the field. And, and like, that, I, I wish, yeah, he would have come out and said, like, I absolutely would do that same thing again. Like, cause yeah. that's, that's what he should do. Like, I don't think he, there was anything that he did there that was wrong. 
Yeah, no, totally agree. But it definitely, it was a fun listen. Very interesting. It's good to hear um, McVeigh and Shanahan because they, they are friends. They worked together for a while. They, they came up in coaching in many ways together. Um, it, it's good to hear their banter back and forth. Yeah, you know, it, it, it's, it strikes me that the quality control coach may be the coach that we should watch from here on out. Because all of those, because Shanahan did reveal one thing in that pod, which is that his who he chooses to be his offensive quality control coach is basically his right-hand human. And that's the person that he's grooming that he spends the most time with. And, and that makes sense. I mean, you think about McVeigh, Matt LaFleur, Mike LaFleur, uh, Mike McDaniel, and, and even Robert Sala started as a QC coach in, in, in Houston. All of those QC coaches, and now D'Amico Ryans, of course, is a QC coach who's now been promoted to defensive coordinator, not directly from QC, but... That's that's where he started. That is seems to be like if you're looking for a coordinator in the next two, three, four, five years, maybe that's the position you're looking at. Leonard Hankerson is now the 49ers quality control coach for offense. You might remember his name because he was a wide receiver for the Washington Redskins uh, back when they were called the Redskins. Now they're they might be called the Washington Monarchs. Dear God, which would be the ultimate irony to have the nation's capital of a democracy that was founded to flee a monarchy have <laughs> its mascot be a monarch. It's like, think it the fuck through Daniel Snyder, but whatever. Um, it, basically he was, he was a wide receiver when Washington was there. I think it was maybe his last year. And so he went back to the well quality control coach. I don't know. Keep your eye on Hankerson is all I'm saying. Hey, get your hanky panky jokes ready. Yeah. They're I coming. mean, it, it makes sense, right? The, Q, the QC basically is doing all the grunt work. Right. Like you're you're doing everything that, uh, you know, the offensive coordinator or in this case, you know, Shanahan wants to know um, you're the guy that's responsible for digging it up. Right. And, and getting all that that stuff done. And so I think, yeah, you, you really end up in, in sort of a, you know, kind of trial by fire situation where you're just getting you know, you're working uh, what I can only imagine is just a, an absurd amount of hours and, and you're just going through all this stuff and, and you just like have no choice but to absorb a lot of that stuff, right? Like even almost by accident, just because you're, you're getting so much of it and you're sitting there with Shanahan all the time and getting to see how he looks at things. And, um, yeah, I, so I, I think it's, you know, there's a reason obviously people start there because it is the grunt work and it's a lot of, a lot of bullshit that I'm sure you have to deal with. Um, but, but I can only imagine what doing that for somebody like Shanahan, um, and how much that can be beneficial for your career. All right, well, let's get to the rewatch and we'll do maybe one or two rewatches. The, I mean, we, we took a, a little of a couple weeks off. We looked at, we watched some soccer, had an international break, spent 4th of July together, which was a lot of fun. We did. Uh, and, and made some, some good, uh, well, my father-in-law made a really, really good pork butt that was turned into carnitas tacos, uh, by me, uh, and pulled pork sandwiches, uh, by other folks basically had all the things that you could do, uh, with pork butt or pork shoulder, depending on what you want to call it. It's a lot of fun, but in the midst of all that, uh, we've got basically what four weeks until uh, preseason? Five weeks? Yeah, I mean we're we're less than a month. I think first full week of a preseason is twelfth uh, of August. You get the Hall of Fame game on the fifth. So I mean we are are creeping up on real yeah. football action here uh, real soon. And so we're we're probably going to put our effort into maybe three scheme month episodes, uh, but that means that we may not have two rewatch episodes this year. So this may be our only rewatch episode, but it's it's a good one because this game was a ton of fun. If you're unfamiliar with the rewatch series, it's basically our opportunity to dig into the archives 
and look at a game from the pre-podcast era, which for those that have not been tuning in since 2012, shame on you, but 2012 is indeed the, the podcast era. So a game before 2012. Uh, I got it right this year, David. I said 2012. You did. Not, not 2011. <laughs> Finally got it. It only took like six years. I'm just saying, and one of these times too, I mean, it's kind of besides the point. I, I would love to go uh, and rewatch a game from early podcast stuff and like oh, rewatch God. the game, form my opinions now, having watched it, and then, and listen. then listen to that old podcast on I'm that game and that. see where, where things uh, are kind of different and see the stupid shit that I probably said back then. With with the death with the death of Alex Gibbs, R.I.P. By the way, to Alex Gibbs, the the Godfather of of the Outside Zone. I reposted the initial Shanahan Run Game episode on the Patreon that we had, and I like I'm I've already I listened to just a snippet of it, and I'm like that's I don't know that I would agree with that. And someone pointed out that that <laughs> someone pointed out that uh, I I talked about quality control coaches because Shanahan had just been hired and and they were he was amassing the staff. And I said something about quality control coaches, you know, being coordinators in, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. <laughs> it's like, D'Amico Ryans, hold my beer. That's <laughs> not, not going to happen. So, yeah, clearly the, the the quality control coach thing, you know, maybe we should pay more attention to that. But anyway, uh, the, the, the reason we picked this game is because a few weeks ago, someone posed the question, uh, uh, what is your team's most fun losing season since the year 2000? And so I thought to myself, man, that's that's a really good question. And I got down to think about it and I was like, shit, I actually think it might be the 2000 season uh, with Jeff Garcia and Terrell Owens and like, oh man, this was the Terrell Owens star game. And, and so we kind of zeroed in on this game and decided, you know what, this is the game that we should watch. We thought it would be fun and it turned out it, it kind of was. So for the rewatches, we'll give you just a, a little bit of context on the season and then the game. And then we'll talk about some key takeaways that we had while we were watching the game. Um, so for, for context for the season, I mean, it was the year 2000. Uh, it was a, definitely a transition season. Steve Young retired at the end of the 1999 season after he was knocked out by Aeneas Williams on a blitz against Arizona. Uh, the same game that I think Jerry Rice tore his ACL. Uh, Jeff Garcia was a 29-year-old undrafted free agent quarterback who played in the CFL who came in to replace Steve Young, managed to... Uh, keep that job into the 2000 season. Bill Walsh is now the GM of the 49ers. He had come back to try to resuscitate this franchise because they are now they're they're on the tail end of that dynasty at this point. And he amassed multiple picks in the first two rounds. He did. I mean, the guy was ahead of draft strategy at this point. He had, I think, they were like top five pick trades back twice. Ends up with six picks in the first three rounds two first rounders two second rounders and two third rounders and he's at pick 16 and he's staring at chad pennington who everyone thinks may be the future of the franchise passes on chad pennington for julian peterson because he was drafting giovanni carmazzi in the third round uh he he had those six picks but i think he hit on one of them and well, those those six picks were Julian Peterson, Ahmed Plummer, John Engelberger. You do not besmirch John Engelberger's name, goddammit. Uh, Jason Webster, Giovanni Carmazzi, and Jeff Ulbrich. I would argue that Jeff Ulbrich was a hit as a third-round pick. 
Yeah, I mean, some of those guys were were solid play. Like, you know, I think, uh, I mean, Engelberger was pretty solid for a little bit there. Um, I mean, he played, yeah, he had at least eight years in the league. Uh, yeah, Ulbrich was was a solid player. I mean, even Plummer had moments, you know, where, where he was all right. But, um, yeah, I mean, Peterson, we go back to the, I mean, Peterson, we, I feel like during a previous rewatch, I forget exactly which game, but uh, any anytime he comes up, it just, it's hard not to be like, man, I kind of wish that guy played now and yeah. instead of that. Like, he had an interception this game that I'm sure we'll get to. But, like, yeah, you just watch him on, on some plays. You're like, he was out of place in, in this era yeah. of football. He was a little early for the game. Uh, and, and the Niners tried. I mean, they played him at, you know, like, what was it, like seven different positions in one game? But, yeah, um, but, yeah. but Julian Peterson was the, the start. And, and honestly, this, this draft class was the foundation for ultimately what helped propel the Niners in 2003 to a playoff season. Um, 2002, 2003 was the, the calendar year. Um, but so the Niners are really in transition at this point. Uh, you've got Jeff Garcia, who's a quarterback. You've got Jerry Rice, who's at the tail end of his what appears to be the tail end of his career. <laughs> um, you've got Terrell Owens, who's an emerging star at wide receiver. This is the era of the Devo wide receivers. And, and you've got a 49ers defense that very much needs some work, which is why the Niners spent... Uh, a premium pick on Julian Peterson and then followed that up with Ahmed Plummer and then John Engelberger and Jason Webster. There's a reason the first four picks were on defense. That's because the Niners defense was bad and it didn't get better with those four picks. (laughs) It was was not good. So So the Niners are in definitely a rebuild mode. They've got some salary cap issues to figure out. And Bill Walsh is trying to right the ship and he thinks that he can do it uh, with this Giovanni Carmazzi guy who's not even playing this game. Uh, and then not even playing, get- not even playing period. I, I just was, wanted to point out. So you have this screenshot in our agenda here that that is of this draft class. Right. And it's it's from pro, pro football reference. And so you get kind of like basic info on them. Right. And and one of the things you see on there is, OK, they were all drafted in 2000. And then when did they leave the team? And Giovanni Camarazzi, it's just empty. No years played, not from or to just anything, like his career, just because his career didn't exist. He was a third round pick, and then he was basically non-existent from that. The point best forward. quarterback in that draft was Tim Rattay, a seventh round draft pick, uh, whom I still remember Tim Rattay dunking on the Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday Night Football. That was like peak Tim Rattay. And to Can be you- clear, you're talking about the best 49ers selection in this draft. Not saying that Tim Rattay was better than Tom Brady. That's exactly right, because this was also the draft that Tom Brady was selected, which incidentally, Steve Mariucci talked about why they didn't uh, even consider Tom Brady, because he was at their local pro day. And and they were like, yeah, you know, we really like we've built this system off of mobile quarterbacks and we did this whole thing. And Tom Brady can't move. Uh, and I think he might I think Mooch and I don't know if this is true or not, but Mooch said that he that Tom Brady had the slowest 40 time for a quarterback ever. <laughs> at like at like almost six seconds, which I don't know if that's true, but that's the impression left in Mariucci's mind. Yeah. So Mariucci's looking at this statue of a quarterback, and he's like, "Yeah, we can't do that. We need, we need a mobile guy." And, and so that's why they ended up picking someone like Giovanni Carmazzi and then you know Tim Rattay out of Louisiana Tech. Long relationship with Louisiana Tech, the 49ers. Dear God. Uh, but yeah, but so now you get to the game, and and the game was about two teams in transition, really, because coming in the Niners were zero and three. This is week four. The Cowboys were, I think, two and one, uh, and there was some controversy about the quarterback. Randall Cunningham is now a Cowboys quarterback. He had played the last couple of games because Troy Aikman was repeatedly concussed, 
And basically, this was his first game back after week one where, where he got knocked out. But the Cowboys, I mean, Michael Irvin had retired. Deion Sanders was released. Daryl Johnson had retired. Uh, and, and so basically, this is former glory game getting together with Dave Campo as the head coach of the Cowboys. And Dave Campo looks like he just got off a riding zero-turn mower, <laughs> rocking his new balances. Uh, just... You know, making all the dad jokes that you and I are going to make uh, here in oh, just a God. couple of years. Dave uh, Campo is, is a good looking guy. Quick side note from the research department. They were, the Cowboys were one and two entering this game. Uh, so one and two. Also not great. Started 0-2, won the game uh, immediately preceding this one. So the, the game starts and the Niners really started out well and they never lost their grip on the game. Uh, running behind some good offensive line play, Jeremy Newberry, uh, who is the guy that I credit for teaching me what microfracture surgery is all about. Uh, not personally, but just that's what happened to his knees, and I needed to know what that was, and so I looked it up. Uh, but uh, you basically got some good offensive line play and some inspired work from Charlie Garner. Uh, and this is also the T.O. posing on the star game. Uh, the, the game looked a little tight at half 17, 10, the Niners try Hail Mary unsuccessfully, um, which the time management was terrible on that game. They had three timeouts. They used one and, and like, they could have just gotten a couple of completions to get in a field goal range, kick a field goal. Instead, they're throwing bombs to Hail Mary, like Hail Marys and Terrell Owens. And it's not great. Um, Troy Aikman tries to open up the offense. Can't get much going against the defensive game plan from Jim Mora Jr. Still don't know if that guy's a good coach. Um, who was intent on pressuring the Cowboys with all manner of exotic blitzes. Uh, and the Niners put the game away in the second half with Jeff Garcia not missing a pass and getting a, a couple of big plays, in one case, with Jeff Garcia's legs. And the Niners end up winning big. Uh, it was like 43-20-something, uh, basically the game that you turn off and go to the other game in the fourth quarter. <laughs> yeah, 41-24, but one of those, uh, or actually, I mean, really two of those scores, uh, were, were very late. It was... You know, oh, and there was 30. an onside kick late, too. Like, the, the Cowboys go for the onside kick. They recover the onside kick uh, and then promptly fumble. It was... Uh, it, it was... Yeah, it was definitely... It was a fun game, but not fun because the teams are necessarily good. Just fun because a lot of interesting things happen. Right. So that that was kind of like the the weird thing in in rewatching this game, right? Is is obviously it's uh kind of this iconic game that everybody remembers because of everything that happened with Tio and the Star. Um and and there were some individual moments that were exciting, but like overall as a game, like kind of boring for a large stretch. Like the first 20 minutes, so like the the entire first quarter and and kind of the start of the second quarter there, uh there was not shit that happened. Like neither offense could really do a whole lot. Charlie Garner was like basically the only buddy doing anything during that time. It wasn't until like into the, to the nine minute mark in the second quarter that there was a single pass completed that traveled more than 10 yards in the air. Like uh, it, it was just a lot of runs for, you know, in the Cowboys case, very little gain uh, in the Niners case. Sometimes Charlie Gardner would, would break off a big one. And then it was just like the passing game was just dump offs. Like it was just short throws in the flats to backs for that were tackled for five yards. Like it was just not a lot happening there. And then things kind of exploded in, in the second and third quarter. Right. And you had some big moments in there and, and uh, you know, some, some really fun individual plays, but then it just like got out of hand really quick. Suddenly like you blink and it's 34, 10 49ers. And you're like, this shit's fucking over. I will say that one, one of my takeaways was that the, the 
49ers offense was kind of fun in in an old timey way. Like just some of the old shit that you just don't see anymore. It was fun to see. I mean, so you talk about the opening drive and there were a couple of plays where they like one play, they had a fake fullback counter that looks like an old wing T play because of the way the quarterback opens for the handoff. And he pulls it and runs to the short side and is basically a quarterback keeper. Like you don't, you don't see that anymore. That would absolutely work if you still, I mean, for the Niners because they still have a fullback, but we've seen that same kind of that same kind of opening before where you've got that quick fullback trap that the Niners like to run. Sometimes they run it with Debo Samuel. Sometimes they run it with use check. So like that quarterback keeper could absolutely work with Trey Lance. Like that's, that's exactly what I thought to myself was like, Oh man, let's, but let's dust that one off. Um, but that's that, that kind of old stuff is like, man, that's kind of neat. Like they were still that pro set two back kind of fun stuff that is fun because it is old, not necessarily fun <laughs> because you know, it's, it's necessarily going to work. Although I would venture to guess that it with Trey Lance and with the 49ers who have a fullback, that play could still work today. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's uh, because everybody has just gone completely away from that stuff, right? Like um, th- there are so many runs. And so, yeah, you get like, I'm sure everybody that if you're a 49ers fan can envision that pro set, right? The, the back split back there. Um, and then they also had kind of like the variations, which I've always just like heard of is, is like called near and far formations where basically rather than having, um, you know, the backs kind of evenly split on either side of the quarterback, um, you get one that now is lying directly behind the quarterback. And if the offset back is away from the tight end, that's far. And if it's close to the tight end, it's near. Um, and, and so you get a lot of runs in, in there and you get, you end up with a lot of these handoffs that are like, um, underneath handoffs for the quarterback, meaning like the back is actually on a path that's between the quarterback and the offensive line where normally you would think of if just like a standard eye formation run or, or single back type run where the quarterback's under center, he's reaching the ball away, right? So the quarterback is staying, keeping himself between the line of scrimmage and the defense behind him and the back who he's going to give it to. Um, they, they just have a ton of runs in that offense where the back is coming underneath. And, and so it just ends up as these really quick hitting runs. They have some some interesting blocking schemes that you just don't really see from teams anymore. Like none of that stuff exists in today's NFL. It felt like it was a lot of man blocking where it was just like the person in front of you hit them and push them back. Um, and you saw some counters. You saw some inside zone. You, you even saw, I think, a little bit of outside zone. Um, but most of it was just like hit the guy in front of you and move them off the spot. And a lot of it was draws too. Um, especially early in the game, it was a lot of draws to Charlie Garner who looked, I mean, just awesome by the way. He looked, maybe it was because of the 25 on him, but I got, I got some strong shady McCoy vibes from him. Yeah. I mean him and, uh, you know, you could argue him and Brian Westbrook, right. Right. Or like kind of the the original shady McCoys, right? Like they, they kind of had, that same sort of start stop, the lateral agility stuff, the big cuts. Um, but yeah, you saw, I mean, Garner, man, he was, he was really fun to watch in this game. I mean, they just had some, some moments where you see him stop on a dime and change direction, make a nice cut. You know, the balance was, was really great. Like his, his ability to, to make those cuts, keep his balance, even balance through contact at, at, at a lot of points was, uh, just a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, he racked up a ton of fucking yards in this game over 200. Yeah, I mean, you've also got the the run game stuff was really interesting because you get to the late, like their eighth drive. You're talking about the third quarter at the end. It's third and two. And the Niners are moving from the screens right to the left. 
it's a pro set, similar kind of set as the one that we were talking about before with a receiver on either side of the formation. But now it looks like an inside zone to Garner. And at this point, he's the left back and he's in a three-point stance, which a halfback in a three-point stance is still hilarious. Um, and, and, and you think it's going to be another kind of inside quick-hitting handoff, but it's a fake. And Garcia pulls the ball and screams up the sideline, completely fools the contained player, the linebacker on the edge, and Garcia is basically free running. And and Garcia, you know, probably should have slid. And then he dies. Couple, That's yeah. what happens after. <laughs> Several moments later, he pulls it, has a lot of space in front of him, and then we watch Jeff Garcia die on the field. It, yeah, he got hit very hard and then fumbled the ball. And, man, Jeff Triplett was having a rough day. With the the this, I, it felt like this is Jeff. Tri- I don't know if this was Jeff Triplett's in, inaugural NFL season, but it certainly looked like it. Based on he was he was getting very familiar with the down by contact rule. How do you tell? I mean, you could watch a Jeff Triplett game now. I feel like and still feel like it's his first season. <laughs> yeah, you know? he's uh, yeah. I mean, you know, maybe he plateaued there in the year two thousand. I feel <laughs> like this is not good. But yeah, but it's just the the offense. I feel like it was. Th- there are some games that we've rewatched and we're like cool it's it's a two-man route it's a three-man route like this this is not complicated stuff um it's not dressed up there's not a lot of motion there's there's not anything that is visually interesting right now i do feel like this game at least from an offensive perspective for the 49ers at times kept me interested with just like oh that's neat that's awesome i see you mooch all right yeah i think it's it's like how much that um you know at this point was still like it feels i mean you you a lot of this stuff was started right really in the the Walsh days. Like it, it was still the same stuff, these same kind of plays, right? That they're you're they're still running essentially 20 years later. And so you look at, you know, um the the Cowboys, which was like I feel like a more typical of that era, which was like in hindsight, really fucking boring. Like it, it's it's like almost guaranteed first and second down is gonna be some sort of basic 21 personnel I formation variant, right? Like Sometimes it's just straight eye formation. Um, so every every once in a while, they're gonna move the move a receiver over to the other side of the formation and get get a, a kind of twins look there. And like that, that's all they're really doing. And then you don't get to anything even remotely interesting from like a formation standpoint um, or even a play call standpoint until third down. Right, third down, you're kind of forced to. The finally that sometimes you get the third receiver out, you're you're splitting somebody out, you're you're running a little bit of motion, something like that. But and, and so when you switch that and you see the 49ers do it, like don't get me wrong, there was a lot of that in there too. Like the, a lot of basic vanilla stuff, um, or at least what it what in today's game looks like basic vanilla stuff. Um, but you do see a lot more of those interesting looks, right? You see um I the 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 pro and the near far stuff stand out. Um, but even their use of motion, I mean, they had one play. Uh, I think it was in the second half, I want to say, but it was a screen. They're kind of backed up deep in their own territory screen to Charlie Gardner. And they, they motion Owens over, uh, from the left to the right side of the field and, and basically create like a, uh, a four receiver look over that one side. And it ends up being man covered. So you see the guy follow, um, Owens from being the single receiver on the left to now joining three other receivers over on the right-hand side. And then there's just nobody left over there. And they throw a screen to it. There's a ton of space. Um, so you see things like that uh, that that are very interesting and, and just like do remind you a little bit more of, of what we see when we're watching on Sundays now. 
So we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about the whole Terrell Owens thing, because that was what defined this game. That is, I mean, this game is known as the Terrell Owens, um, or sorry, it's Terrell Owens uh, star game. And, and the, the thing that he, that he says, and he says that on his, it's a football life is that, and George Stewart actually says it. So apparently uh, Terrell Owens asks why the dome is open in Cowboys stadium. And George Stewart says it's because, you know, some version of, you know, God is looking down on, on the Cowboys or something like that. And so if you score, and actually I think he says when you score, um, you know, basically give grace to God. And so when Terrell Owens scores, he runs to the star, puts his hands out and looks up through the hole. I, what I'm assuming is God. I mean, I feel like Terrell Owens can see God at this point. Uh, and, and, and that's how it starts. And then that really lights a fire into the Cowboys. They were really listless in this game until that happened. And then they decided they were going to play football for like a half a quarter. And, and, and then you've got Emmett Smith who runs to the star and smashes the ball down. And it's like, you know, no, this is my star. Um, and, and then, you know, nothing really happened after that because then you go to halftime. Yeah. Cause those were back to back drives. Like if you don't remember yeah. exactly. So it was Owen scores, um, runs out to the star. And then the very next Cowboys possession is when Emmett Smith scores and, and goes out and does his little trip to the star. Yeah, and then you go to you get a failed Hail Mary, you go to the half, and then you come out, and then the Niners just start scoring points, and nothing really happens until the fourth quarter, I think. Oh, it's when, late fourth quarter. Yeah. Yeah. And and then you've got uh Terrell Owens who scores uh the touchdown and starts running to the star again. And a, a couple drives before, um, you've got him against George Teague. And he basically like kittles George Teague in the end zone. You know that 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 clip of Kittle like blocking some defender. I think it might even be Buda Baker. And like he basically rolls over and is giggling because he has completely pancaked this player in the end zone. That's what Terrell Owens does to George Teague. Oh yeah, this was earlier. So this was uh, it was actually on the same drive as the the one that he eventually scores his touchdown. They were down. They ran a lot of plays down, um, kind of inside the five on this. And one of them, yeah, he's like in the slot, and you just see him absolutely destroy this guy and bury him in the end zone. And T like tries to carry his leg and does this whole other thing. And I mean, there was there was a lot of shenanigans. Darren Woodson got ejected. Uh, I think it was Darren Woodson who got ejected uh, because he felt like Jeremy Newberry stepped on him. I mean, he uh, did. In in his defense, Jeremy Newberry absolutely <laughs> fucking stomped on him and then and then walked away. Yeah. Um, I was like, wait a second, did he? They like show in the replay. I'm like, did he fucking step on him? And but it was like, an accident. Yeah, it was I a complete mean, accident. It was not a fucking accident. <laughs> It was definitely, it was like, you know, like, look, uh, Newberry and Indomitian Sue will claim it was an accident <laughs> until the day they die. Um, but that was, you know, that was just Jeremy Newberry. He was just getting his Raiders cred up before he ends up going to the Raiders. Jeremy's, Jeremy Newberry's mom doesn't believe that that was an accident. <laughs> oh man. So, so yes, yeah, so, I mean, he gets ejected and then all of a sudden Owens runs to the star again and T decides he's going to clip him. And and the thing that I love the most about this that I hadn't remembered until I rewatched this is that the next player in there who tries to hit George Teague is Derek Deese, the lineman. And he is just rumbling, bumbling, stumbling, trying to get to Teague. And he does not. I mean, Teague is like 
a straight up Spanish bullfighter. He just takes one step to the left and Deese falls over. And it takes Deese like a solid minute to get up. <laughs> like, Oh my God, it's so um, great. So two things uh, that, that I really appreciated watching that uh, again. One is I loved how even after Teague like smashes Owens and he falls down and then Derek Teese and, and everybody else <laughs> is coming by. Owens just goes back to the star and stands there again with his hands up in the well, air. Well, he's talking to God, bro. While everybody is running by him and like getting into it. It's fucking hilarious. Um, and then two after they after he like leaves the end zone initially and he's sprinting over there jeff garcia is going up to him to try and celebrate and he basically fucking stiff arms him and is just like (laughs) fucking out of my way bro i'm headed to the star i mean look what are you gonna do to the original uh brandon whedon the original you know 30 something rookie that is trying to play you know the original ginge quarterback who's in his 30s trying to just make a name for himself in the nfl what are you gonna do um jeff garcia incidentally very inconsistent game very good second half uh had some real i think if if jeff garcia's like accuracy were to be charted now using actual ball location accuracy i think it would be a little suspect there were a couple plays where it was just like man he is real lucky that his receivers are terrell owens and jerry rice yeah, I mean, I I feel like G- Garcia would not hold up as well to uh, the the scrutiny of today's like ability to evaluate quarterbacks. Like the way yeah. that we uh, look at quarterbacks now and all of the different tools and things that we have to evaluate quarterback play that we did not have then. I I don't feel like that would shine a great light on Jeff Garcia. Yeah, I I, I feel like he he probably is a guy whose numbers look a lot better than he actually played. And in this game, I think that was definitely true. Last thing that was a takeaway for me was that I think we need to rename the dropping defensive lineman into coverage drinking rule from the better rivals drinking game to the Jim Mora junior role, because this, this guy basically unleashed a bevy of blitzes that all required dropping a defensive lineman into coverage. You're talking about Brenton Buckner, Bryant Young, John Engelberger, all of those fools had multiple snaps. He's dropping like one techniques into a short zone repeatedly, repeatedly. Which Engelberger uh, lit up? Oh, destroyed a receiver. Was it? Yeah. I think it might have been Rocket. Yeah, like the Niners uh, knocked him out. Uh, he was someone who came in injured to the game, and then they, he he left on a stretcher. I mean, it might. Okay, no, he didn't. He didn't leave on a stretcher after Engelberger got a hold of him, but it didn't okay. help. I'm sure. Not a stretcher. Um, he left on a cart. Sorry. Let me let me differentiate between the things that come out and get players on the field. A cart, not a stretcher. Uh, it was the whole ambulance, like in Tecmo Super Bowl, and then it ran <laughs> over the player um, to make things worse. Um, yeah, I, I mean they like defensively they blitzed a shit ton in this game oh totally um, they blitzed yeah. i mean they blitzed and it wasn't just fire zones because there were a couple of fire zones that i mean I was they were able a lot to of catch. fire zones yeah but but there was also just like some like some cover zeros where you're dropping a defensive lineman into a short zone there, there's you know ones where you're dropping a, a defensive lineman each into a hook zone because clearly you know they're going to go with a slant i mean it, it was very clearly finely tuned to the the heavy slant pass patterns of the year 2000 and, and yeah, I mean, it was, it was absurd. I mean, I, I, I charted it, or I mean, charted is a strong term. I took a note <laughs> on at least uh, six or seven plays where you're full on dropping defensive linemen as part of your coverage scheme. Yeah. I, I mean, it was a, a lot. And again, this, this is like, 
um, a lot of third down plays because, you know, yeah. there's a lot of, you know, runs that go for fucking nowhere in there and, and, you know, the bullshit early down stuff. But even, um, even then when they would pass early downs, yeah, I felt like they, they were bringing a lot of pressure and it was largely pretty effective. I mean, they got guys, um, free and and i mean they ended up with uh you know on one of the blitzes like the linebacker comes through they're trying to dallas is trying to like slide their tight end over uh in inside to end up picking this up and he gets pushed back into aikman um in his lap and and that's when engelberger is able to get kind of the strip sack there and they get a turnover and um you know the pressure uh julian peterson had an interception you know mentioned earlier like uh, pretty early in this game and that that one was one they were bringing pressure so I mean they they were pretty effective on it I think it um, definitely I mean this was you know again Aikman's final season in Dallas and um, you know he wasn't looking looking super great either and, and so I think yeah the pressure definitely bothered him and, and he wasn't able to really you know move around too well and and do much to evade it yeah I mean the ultimately the winning line for the 49ers was Jeff Garcia with 178 yards four touchdowns it was a career touchdown day for Jeff Garcia. Charlie Garner uh, in this game ended up breaking the 49ers single game rushing record, which was earned by Garrison Hurst, uh, I think just a couple years ago. And he had 198 yards. Charlie Garner ends up with 201 yards on the ground with one singular touchdown. Uh, and Jerry Rice ends up leading the receiving yards, 73 yards, two touchdowns. But it was basically the Cowboys were not really in it at any point in time. Um, and it was still a, a super fun game. I mean, you've got everything from a, uh, a, an, a punt return that should have been a touchdown that Jeff Triplett got wrong because he said the dude was down by contact. You have an onside kick. You've got sacks. You've got turnovers. You've got celebrations. You've got extracurriculars. You've got people getting ejected. I mean, this game had everything. It was fun, even though... Like the game wasn't necessarily all that fun. <laughs> it was kind of a blowout, yeah, and uh, and had some large stretches there where where there wasn't a whole lot of shit happening. But um, yeah, I, I think there were, you know, it's, it's always fun going back and and watching these games, and it's it does make me think. I mean, because there's it's it's uh, you know, on one hand, you you don't have near the tools or or the ability to like study the game in the same way, right? Like you look at that, even the TV footage, right, is all that that somebody like us would have to go on at that point, um, and it's terrible. Like you know, it's they're they're zoom V-bag. they're like actively zooming in after the snap on like the quarterback and in in the pocket there, um, and you just don't see like you lose not only the, is the secondary on the picture, the secondary may never enter the picture during the entire play, um, and you're losing the linebackers like almost immediately after the snap like it's it's in some some ways it's like so hard to see what's going on and and to understand but on the other hand it's like shit was simple back then like there it was compared to now like it it just was everything was a lot simpler and and there just wasn't as much happening in and so i think that's why it stands out like when you had an offense like the niners that did do a few more creative things that wouldn't even be like in today's game considered that creative, right? That's just kind of like par for the course now with most teams are, are going to be doing, um, you know, all those types of things, but it, it really stands out when you go back 20 years, right. And see just how kind of vanilla and basic teams were back then. And 20 years sounds like a long time. Yeah, uh, it was, it was a very long time. All right, let's get to some quick hits. Uh, which player hit your nostalgia button? Cause for me, it was definitely John Engelberger. Like that was that was a guy for whatever reason I I loved that dude way back in the day. Uh, Julian Peterson would be up there. Uh, Lance Schulters, another one that would be up there. That's a good one. 
Yeah. Yeah. Like that all these players were ones that were just like, oh man, oh I love that guy, you know. Um, even Jeremy Newberry, right? Like uh, all those players that that were super, in my opinion, super great. Uh, what players hit that button for you? Yeah, I think, I mean, Peterson defensively was definitely one. I mean, it was Charlie Gartner, like just a guy that I hadn't really thought about in, in a very long time, right? And it was like, oh shit, man, like uh, he was really fun. And like, you know, yeah. it was just like enjoyable watching him run and um and and some of the plays that he had were were a lot of fun to watch so i think he would probably be the one i would single out yeah i feel like he too was a player that if if he were in this era would be a, a good like he would still hold up he would be a yeah. good back um just based on his skill set his lateral jump cuts uh and his literally his lateral cuts in general i feel like were just really really good yeah, and you got some um, receiving ability there and yeah yeah i, I think yeah absolutely um how'd, how'd you love that ump cam because that up camp was something else. <laughs> uh, I mean, other than the fact that I like nearly threw up. Um, and, oh, and man. It was just like, it looked like something out of, uh, I don't know, like a, a Madden promo uh, or, or something like that, where they're trying to show some close-up action. Uh, and it was just like, I mean, yeah, nausea-inducing. It looked a little bit like, have you ever seen the the VR video that like high school quarterbacks or, or quarterbacks right. will use to train? It looked like that. It looked like some nerd simulation of what football should look like. Um, you know, speaking as a nerd myself, um, that that wasn't actually indicative of what actually was happening. But but there it was like I'm actually watching Jerry Rice catch a touchdown pass. Um, I don't know that I would be opposed to the um cam right now. Um, although I think the the modern version of it is the guy who runs on the end, like runs into the end zone and takes video of people. Yeah. After or, the or, I mean, we've got the sky cam now, right? That yeah. just like sky cam. roams, okay. roams yeah. around. Uh, but sky it is like steroids. very much like there, there was a, I mean, this was like a long time ago. This is a very old version of Madden, but they had a, a helmet cam where you oh, could basically yeah, yeah, like yeah. play from the quarterbacks and it was like first, that first person view. Um, and wow, it was terrible. And it, the ump cam was equally terrible in this game. Yeah, it's it's a I I put the ump cam in the same area as I would the the Fox hockey puck glow thing, as things they tried, and and I'm glad they left in in the early 2000s. I'm glad they left those things in the 2000s. Cletus um, still with us. We <laughs> fucking Cletus though. Can we get rid of Cletus? That guy has been with us for I don't know how long. And it needs again to stop. since Troy Aikman was playing, and now he's I, been calling games for Fox for fucking however twenty long. years. Troy Aikman has forgotten Cletus's names six times, like and 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 he's still the and and he keeps being reminded of him just simply because he's still there. It's like oh that guy's still here. Okay, cool. Um, Jeff, we've already talked about how Jeff. Garcia maybe that maybe Cletus is still around because he's the thread that Troy Aikman needs to maintain <laughs> sanity. Oh, Oh, After no. all those, it's what holds it all together. Oh, especially too, on that turf. Too far. That turf. That turf was. I mean, people legit bounced off that turf. I saw linemen. I mean, I think I feel like calling the old uh, Texas Stadium turf anything other than like carpeted concrete is is way too forgiving. That was that was rough. Very very rough. Um, how'd you like that cornerback technique in general? Because I feel oh, like the, the, my my note here is that cornerback techniques uh, and coverages really have come a long way. <laughs> yeah, it, it's uh, it's pretty rough. I mean, um, there was I can't remember Montgomery for the Niners, the other corner that wasn't Plummer in this game. 
I think. Oh his yeah, name, that guy was bad. Montgomery. So I, he's number twenty-four. Yeah, I definitely thought that was Mike Rumpf. No, no, we are uh, what a year away from Mike Rumpf. Um, no, it was something I, I forget his first name, but it was I'm pretty sure his last Monty name was Montgomery, Montgomery, isn't it? He was the guy who got uh, beat on the uh, pass interference. Yeah, he got a pass beat. interference in the end zone. Um, that, that which was very bad. Up. Very, very bad. Yeah, it was was very ugly. Um, and as I'm trying to kill time here, I cannot find. He wow. apparently did not even register a single tackle or anything of note, so he's not even on the um, little defensive box score thing here for Pro Football Reference. But that's fine. Look, any, we're just anyway, gonna call look, him. Yeah, cornerbacks. Uh, there, there was there was some some rough times there. Not. I feel like- uh, if you could keep your balance, that that put you in the upper half of cornerback play, at least in this game. That's that's what the dividing line was. Could you stay on your feet? That yeah, there, there were just some ugly. I mean, the pass interference that we just mentioned, the end zone was was really rough. And because there there weren't a lot of I mean, this is the thing, too, right, is, uh, again, th- there's not a lot of shots downfield being taken, but it felt like no. every time that they took one, like there was some really shitty defensive back play on there. Like, oh, yeah, one of one of Rice's touchdowns, which there are there are two things uh, about that that are just hilarious to me. But uh, yeah, I mean, you see the corner, which I'll give the corner a little bit more credit on this one because he steps on Rice's foot and then falls over falls and over. Rice manages to keep his balance um, um, through it. And so he ends up wide open. But the the this the deep rice touchdown was the first touchdown um that that he got was like a 67 yarder it's third and four and they're hitting on play action third and four and these safeties are biting on play action like it's first and 10 like it's just uh they're, they're nowhere in the frame at all like so you never because again the 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 broadcast coverage, you don't see the safeties at all, like pre-snap. But if you just count the other defenders, right, there's nine defenders in frame somewhere along the line of scrimmage because they're playing uh, what looks like some sort of man coverage because you get a guy, you know, uh, traveling with a receiver in motion and, and everybody's looks pretty, pretty kind of locked up there. And so you see nine guys in frame. So I know that I've got two safeties that are back there somewhere doing something but they just never enter the frame. And it's like a play action deep post on, on fucking third and four that it just like the, the defense has no idea what to fucking do. Like this play action. Oh my God, it's gotta be a run. And it's just wild to me that they would bite on it. But yeah. It, um, well, when you're running inside uh, quick hitting plays with my man, Fred Beasley, I mean, what, what can you do? <laughs> what can you do? You have no excuse, but to step up first and worry about Jerry Rice later. Worry about that dude later. Um, two last things here in the quick hits. One, we love names and nicknames, um, and we have an all-name team, and Cedric Killings might join that all-name 49ers team. He registered a sack in this game, and his name is Cedric Killings. That's pretty amazing. Uh, I was also reminded of my favorite nickname for a 49ers kicker, uh, and that is uh, for one Mr. Wade Ritchie, who I always used to call Wide Ritchie because his kicks would always go wide. And he actually made all of his kicks in this game, but wide Richie, I'll never forget. I felt, I felt so clever and I can't, I'm, I'm, I know for a fact, multiple people called him that. I'm pretty sure I, I thought it was my sure. idea and it really wasn't, but wide Richie. Yeah. Um, yeah. The Niners had a string of some really shitty kickers there for, for a while. Oh yeah. Owen Pochman. Uh, we even had a, a Salvadoran kicker for a bit. Jose Cortez. Uh, that uh, yeah, was, I, I yeah, I mean, there was, yeah. yeah, there was, there was a lot of, 
there was there was some there were some rough times there. Last thing, we've talked about Jeff Garcia quite a bit, but I thought this was interesting and we'll end on a positive note. This season, the year 2000, uh, was one of the maybe 11 seasons, uh, or no, actually, let me rephrase that. The Jeff Garcia passed for consecutive 30 touchdown passing seasons in 2000, 2001. So this was his first season where he threw for 30 touchdowns. Only 11 quarterbacks in NFL history have done that, had consecutive 30 touchdown seasons. So while Jeff Garcia maybe isn't necessarily as, uh, you know, going to hold up to the rigor of history, he still had some pretty bonkers stats. Uh, and he had two 30 touchdown passing seasons. Uh, has has Alex Smith ever had a 30 touchdown season? Um, God, maybe, maybe one. That year with right? Kansas City? Yeah, feels anyway, like he we'll, had to have gotten. That. We'll let the anyway. we'll let the research department figure that out. Maybe we'll we'll tweet it out or talk about it on the Patreon. But uh, I think that does it for this week's episode. Oh, research department, come through! Oh, no, he is not. Go. His nope. high uh, in 2017 with Kansas City was 26 touchdowns. I mean, look, all I'm saying is uh, we love numbers, we love stats, uh, and the stats tell us that Jeff Garcia, twice the quarterback of Alex Smith. Yeah, that's all I'm saying. That's that's where we'll leave you with this rewatch episode. It was a lot of fun to watch that rewatch we're, we'll post the, the this game is actually not it's the best quality you're going to find on youtube we'll post it in the show notes if you want to go watch it there's also some old commercials if you're really interested in some old 2000s nostalgia uh that are kind of interesting and hilarious so definitely catch the 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 game if you are so inclined uh if not uh we'll be back next if week. you don't want to watch the full game there's if you go to the nfl throwback account on youtube they actually have like a 12 minute cut up. That's it's basically like a condensed game. Like you get it's not every play in cutting out the between play stuff, but I mean it's a big chunk of that game that you can go fly through and is is actually much better quality than the full game. So, I would do that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, thanks for tuning in to the rewatch episode. We'll be back next week uh, with some more stuff as we roll into the scheme month, which is going to be the month of August and then it's football. It's back. We're here. We're getting back into the swing of things. We're back in the saddle. Thanks for tuning in this week. Uh, you can find me on the Twitters at Better Rivals. David, tell them about the Patreon. Yeah, because you can't find me anywhere. Um, Patreon.com slash Better Rivals. We're going to be, again, yeah, having having content, uh, especially related to Scheme Month. You know, any of the episodes we do there, um, we, we will very likely have some episodes up on the Patreon, giving you some video examples of that stuff. And then once we get you know, in season, um, going to have a lot more stuff there once we get real football to, to go back and evaluate. Thanks again for tuning in to the rewatch episode. As always, go Niners. Go Niners.